It's a pleasure to welcome Preeta Nayak and Lindsay Waldron to Nonprofit Radio. Preeta Nayak is a partner in the Bridge Span. Uh, we're going to do that again. No, 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 we can't have that. I can't botch the first three words. It's terrible. All right. Let's do it again. Bridge Span Group. Do people have trouble with that? Bridge Span Group. No, I don't know why. I don't know why people would. I did. Okay. Bridge Span Group. The Bridge Span Group. The Bridge Span Group. Hello and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be forced to endure the pain of necrotizing ulcerative gingivostomatitis if you inflamed me with the idea that you missed this week's show. Talent development. With a few practices, you can turn your talent development process into an employee retention tool, a leadership pipeline, and a step toward greater inclusivity. Preeta Nayak and Lindsay Waldron, both from the Bridgespan Group, talk through their article. On Tony's Take Two, Nonprofit Radio 50, Redux. Here is Talent Development. It's a pleasure to welcome to Nonprofit Radio Preeta Nayak and Lindsay Waldron. Preeta Nayak is a partner in the Bridgespan Group's San Francisco office and head of Bridgespan's Leadership and Community Services. She's co-author of the book, Nonprofit Leadership Development, What's Your Plan A for Growing Future Leaders? Lindsay Waldron is manager in the Bridgespan Group's Boston office. She worked on the development and facilitation of Leading for Impact, Bridgespan's two-year consulting and capacity building program for nonprofit executive teams. Bridgespan is at bridgespan.org. Krita, Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. Pleasure to have you both. Uh, I don't know who's the expert in which subjects. So, you know, if I call on somebody and then, you know, if you want to pass it off and say, no, uh, Preeta knows that better, Lindsay, or vice versa, of course, you know, feel free to do that. It's not, I won't consider it uh, anarchic if you, if the person I ask doesn't, uh, doesn't fulfill the, you know, fulfill the, the, the question. So let's see. Overview. I'll just throw it out and one of you can take it. And then maybe the other wants to contribute something more. What is not going well for nonprofits generally in uh, in talent development? Well, Rita, why um, don't you start us off? There we go. Yeah, Rita, yeah, you go. I'll jump first. in. I'll jump in and 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 name some some challenges. Um, and then and then Lindsay definitely invite you invite you to jump in as well. I mean, I think let's let's be clear, everyone. In this moment, every organization across all sectors is uh, facing a set of talent challenges that, um, you know, that have been precipitated by sort of layers of crises, right? So we we had we experienced COVID um, and what that meant in terms of the workplace. We've experienced the racial reckoning and the questions that has led us to ask. We are we've we're facing is it inflation recession is it both are people quiet quitting or are they getting laid off like there's just a there's just a set of things that is also affecting the nonprofit sector now in particular i think i would say that for the nonprofit sector if you're a nonprofit leader you know you have historically and probably even today not had the resources at your disposal to really invest in your leaders. We, we, we invest first in, you know, in our constituents, in our clients, in the people mm -hmm. we're serving. And we put ourselves last oftentimes. And that means we don't have some of the habits we should have. And it means all of these pressures then can hit us harder. We, so we, I know I've, 
I'm talking about at a high level there, but but I I do I think it's a very real challenge. We we put our own selves last. It's like the it's like the the founder who doesn't pay themselves for the first three years of the of the nonprofit's existence. You know, we 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 put our we sort of maybe perpetuate that, and we put our teams, our our I don't know, arguably our most important resource, our our staff, our teams, um, you know, last right. Yeah, and then and that might you can maybe do a sprint that way, right? Yeah. But right. um what is social change not a sprint, right? More than America. Right. right. Cannot right. Lindsay, please. Well, just to just to build on that, you know, I think what so what that leads to then that lack of investment is the turnover and increased rates of turnover that we've that we've seen. So Bridgespan has done some research. We cite a lot of other research in the in our article as well, um, you know, estimate we estimate that one in four senior leaders leaves their role every two years, right? So eight years, you're kind of looking at <laughs> a whole new a whole new team, which is which is just difficult. And we also know that a huge reason for so much of voluntary turnover among nonprofits is for lack of career development and opportunities. Right. So that that turnover, that turnover treadmill, that has a real cost associated with it, both a financial cost for our organization, the cost of recruiting hires, the cost of training new people. And it has a cost on the impact side as well. Trying to fill a new positions kind of, you know, constrains the amount of impact we're able to have through the programs and services that nonprofits run. So I think that yeah, yeah. really kind of puts a pin in the, the problem itself. It takes a new employee like three months just to know for sure, you know, where the bathrooms are. I mean, it, it, it takes, there's a lot of, there's a learning curve. And so, right, that impacts the services. Um, very interesting what you said about the, uh, the volunteer, 40% of voluntary turnover is not feeling like there's opportunity. So basically, like, I'm in a dead end job. I don't see any advancement here for me. So I'll go somewhere else. Is that, is that it, essentially, putting it crassly, dead-end job? Yeah, or, you know, not feeling an opportunity for professional development, right? Like, not every organization is structured like a professional services firm, like a law firm, for example, that has a clear ladder up. But regardless of whether or not there's, you know, a clear, a clear upward path um, at a given organization, I think the point that we try to make um, in this in this piece is that there are many ways to grow professionally um whether or not you know there's a new role or a specific new job on the on the horizon funny you mentioned a law firm you know a normal progression like associate you know partner maybe name partner senior you know i practiced law for two well in some respects they were two short years but for me they were two of the longest years of my life and i I, I I couldn't stand it because uh, in large measure I was dreading the partnership path because I was looking at the partners they were all gray-eyed miserable divorced from their spouses uh, estranged from their children like there was the last thing I wanted to do was follow their path but I know that's that's not the uh, that's not the example you were giving but it it, it your example uh, conjured uh some hysteria in me as I recalled not wanting to be like, oh, gosh. I don't want to be like Sorry, those Johnny. people. I don't want to, I don't want Back to advance in this career. If I have to look like those people 15 years from now, I'll be miserable. So I, I bailed out after two. Okay. Uh, but on to more, uh, more, uh, more encouraging uh, talent development progressions and scenarios. They're not all, they're not all bad in law firms, but a lot of them are, uh, I'll say. So, uh, so like we're looking for, you know, like transparency, right? We want to trans. So you you cite the article in your article, which we'll we'll give folks a link to shortly. You know, transparency and consistency. We're looking for some. We're looking for something like some bedrock that we can rely on, so that we uh, we know there's a, a future for us in this in this organization. I think fair? I think that yeah, I think that's right, and I I I think that one of the things that um, because we we don't have, you know, the habit of investing in ourselves, investing in our people, uh, uh, or that 
you know, it's when it does happen, it tends to be a little bit ad hoc, right? You're sort of a little bit making it up as you go along. And the the real, there's, there's sort of two challenges there, right? At least, right? One is that you're right, Tony, you don't get, you're not providing anyone with visibility of like, how is this going to happen, right? How, how, how will, will somebody invest in me, right? You, you just don't know. It's not, it's not predictable. The second is, and this is a really important point that we try to make repeatedly throughout the article is that when you do things in that ad hoc way, inevitably it leads to inequity in the results, right? Inevitably, it's the people who are the least connected, often the most different from people who are in the most senior slots, who aren't going to get what they deserve, right? Because it's going to be through some informal relationship or, oh, Lindsay, you're just like me in this way and we connect and then like I give you an opportunity. And if we don't stop to actually ask ourselves, oh, is everyone, are all the Lindsays getting opportunities and what kind of opportunities are they getting? And are we systematically having that conversation with everybody? That's the only way you're going to get to some of the equity goals that I know many of our many of our nonprofit leaders have rightfully kind of established now for themselves. They said we want to have a more inclusive culture. We want a leadership team that looks different from the team today. But the only way you're going to get that is by creating some systems and habits. You cite that um, nonprofits fill the top leadership positions internally at only half the rate that for-profit employers do. So it feels like we're we're abandoning the people that we know the best, the the ones that have worked for us. We're we're not we're we're not promoting them. We're doing it only half the rate that that companies do it. So we're not like we're not investing and we're abandoning the folks who seem like the best shot because we know them. They have a history with us rather than bringing somebody from the outside. Well, and yeah. the other the other piece there is that those people from the outside, there there are moments, to be clear, you should have a mix of hires in your organization. You yeah. should have people yeah. you're growing internally and you should. But the, the, the success rate on external hires is for, for all the reasons you would imagine, not as, not as high, right? Yeah. Because those are people who are, are to some extent unknown and who don't know you. And so it's not just that you're not giving people internally a chance. You you may also then be like it may take a lot longer to get to a to to a hire that really works. Lindsay, was there something you wanted to add there? No, just the point that you know, as as Preeta mentioned, external hires are kind of less likely to be successful, and they're they're also more expensive too attract, right? It's like this, the, the, the cost of, of turnover and kind of relying over indexing on external hires to fill leadership gaps in your organization is, you know, there's a real cost to that, which again, it, it just like all builds the case for a thoughtful approach to leadership and talent development that, that we outline and are excited to talk about today. Okay. So let's, so we're gonna we're gonna make improvements in uh, DEI. We're gonna make improvements in in retention. We're gonna reduce turnover. Uh, your first idea is uh, craft competencies. Who wants to who wants to introduce us to crafting competencies? Preeta just I pointed can... to Lindsay. So Lindsay, I guess that means you do. If if you had pointed first, uh, Preeta would, but she did. Yeah. So you go. No, I got it. Well, so I think you know the first. The first question is, well, what what's a competency? That's kind of a big okay. a big word. So just to to break it down, we we talk about competencies. At the end of the day, they are kind of a unique set of skills and capabilities that people need to perform, you know, and develop in their work today, and and to develop in order to be successful in an organization going forward. Um, so a competency could be something like strategic thinking or communication, or, you know, data analysis, analytics, mission orientation, there's, there's a whole number, and we kind of outline some of the more popular competencies that we've seen in our work with nonprofits over the years. But the idea is, you know, there's such, there can be such value in, you know, as a nonprofit leadership team, distilling the the set of competencies it shouldn't be an endless list but say you know what are the top 5 or the top 10 that matter most 
for the people in your organization, right? It's really critical that you know, folks in our organization are able to bring an equity mindset to this work. So what does that actually mean? Let's spell it out, right? And name that as a competency we want people to invest in developing. Or, you know, ability to communicate with our clients, with people we serve, with funders, with policymakers, that is a critical competency. So what does good look like on that dimension for people in our organization? So the process of kind of naming the the, the skills and capabilities that are critical for people in our organization to develop in order to promote our mission, advance our, our work. Um, that in and of itself, you know, we found both with our clients and at Bridgeband, right, to be a, a really, a really valuable exercise that kind of lays the foundation for this approach to, to talent development. Preeta, you, uh, you distinguished between core competencies and leadership competencies. Why don't you flush those out for us? Yeah, I think one of the things that, um, you know, Lindsay mentioned that it's it's valuable to, to name together as an organization a, a relatively small set of competencies that you're trying to build in all your, your employees, right? Um, at the same time, we recognize that there are going to be a set of folks who may be taking on um, broader leadership or more complex challenges for the organization. And they may need to have an additional and slightly different set of competencies that they have to grow into as well. And so we encourage teams, again, to just think, still try and keep lists short. You'll see in the article, we name some of the most popular, but but also recognize that, yeah, um, there are some things as you take on more that that you may need to build um, additionally to what beyond the core competencies. And those are the leadership, we call them leadership competencies. You could call them all sorts of things, but, but we, we distinguish between core, which is something that, you know, everyone in the organization you would hope would grow on and leadership, which would be for a subset of folks taking on more complex tasks. And it's important. Let's just stay with you, Preeta. It's important to recognize that the, the competencies today may be very different than the competencies that we need, both core and leadership in the future, although I would think especially leadership would would change. But if we're going to look ahead, uh, I, I think it was, well, it was one of you who said earlier, you know, what 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 got us here, basically what got us here is not what's going to get us uh, ahead. You didn't, you said it more eloquent, whoever said it, said it more eloquently than I just did. But, <laughs> but what, what got us here is not going to work for the future. So we got to we got to be looking ahead to competencies as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I, I'll just name, you know, Lindsay and I have both had the opportunity to be in, I don't know, hundreds of leadership team conversations where the where where folks are sitting together and actually trying to wrestle with this question of like, oh yeah, what are what is it we mean by leadership or talent in our organization? What are the competencies we want to name? And those are really energizing conversations, right? Because to your point, Tony, you realize like you don't, you're not trying to you know just name what you do now. You're trying to think ahead. Like what are what is the organization we may be in the future, and who, what does that mean we're going to need in our staff and in our leaders? And you know some of that's going to be the same. There's some things that you want to continue, but some of it's going to be different, and that that can be a really exciting conversation. I think the other thing is that. Um, what's, what's often fun about those conversations is you can just have a, you know, I think Lindsay, you, you use the, you, I think you said strategic thinking or strategic mindset. Like you could actually just like even sitting together with others and being like, well, when I mean, when I say that, when I say someone's being strategic, this is what I mean. And then like, you'll realize that like, you're not always even speaking the same language. Yeah. And mm -hmm. actually one of the most important things about competencies is is actually then going one layer more to describe them and describe them in like observable ways. Because that means then like, Tony, when you join my team and I say, look, I want you to be more strategic. A lot of times people will like walk away and be like, God, I don't even know what Priya yeah. meant. <laughs> what, what is she talking about? But instead I have to say like, so here actually is what I mean, Tony. Like I mean, when, when a problem comes your way, I want you to, I want you to show me that you can break it into pieces and, and tackle that piece piece by piece with with your staff, right? 
that's what being strategic means. And that's the kind of language you need in these competency definitions so that everybody can kind of say like, oh, that's what I need to do. That's what this organization needs. It's really powerful. Rita, trust me, you would not want me working on your team. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'd be a terrible employee of any company. I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't even get, I wouldn't even get hired. I would just, I would probably just not even show up for the interview. I would, I would book it. And then just to prove that I'm independent, I wouldn't show up. <laughs> I wouldn't even, I wouldn't then, even get, then you're right. There are some core competencies that, that were that you're yes, you, no, you no. missing out on. I have core arrogance. I think that's that's my <laughs> arrogance. Is arrogance one of the core skill sets? One of the core competencies? I don't know. We it has not been frequently named. <laughs> it has not been frequently named. Not frequently. It's very diplomatic of you. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's. Uh, so Lindsay, let's go to. You. Uh, was there anything else about crafting the competencies from anybody that that uh, we didn't talk about? You think folks should know? Oh, I will say. Well, I will. I'll. I'll name one more thing. Um, which is just that a mantra we have in the in the competency sort of list process is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So do not be the organization that spends six to 12 months trying to identify your competencies. That's six to 12 months that you have not been developing those competencies in your people, right? Because you've been worrying about the words that you're using. I'm not saying words don't matter at all, but like, you know, get most of the way there and try it. And then you can always come back and adapt your list if you need to. So yeah, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Lindsay, you, you wanna introduce us to uh, co-creating professional development plans? Yeah, sure. This is a fun one. Um, you know, the, the, the way that we introduce the, the concept of an effective um, professional development plan um, is through kind of an, a, a really fun example, um, which is by asking, you know, nonprofit leaders that we work with, let's reflect on how you learned how to ride a bike for the first time, right? Um, and Tony, if I asked you that question, right, assuming you know how to ride a bike, <laughs> um, what what did that what did that look like? Well. My uh, my mom and dad would take me out, and I had a, a bike with. Uh, well, started with a tricycle, right? You start start with a tricycle, and then we we got. A, I graduated to a bike, and they would put training wheels on it. Of course, it had training wheels, and they would kind of hold the handlebars, one of them, with me as I rode, even with the even with the the training wheels in the beginning. I think, mm -hmm. and then eventually the training wheels come off and. Mom and dad are left behind and I bike away. Yeah. And now here you are, a bike rider. Um, no, it's a helpful, like what you just described is a very kind of active and involved process of you kind of learning while doing, right? With people kind of by your side, you know, making sure you don't like fall too hard and, and coaching you along the way. Um, and I think that's a really helpful kind of picture to keep in mind as we think through, well, how do people learn? How do we expect people to kind of grow and develop some of the competencies that we just developed? Um, and it's not by just reading about it. It's not by attending a training on how to ride a bike or by watching a video. And I think I elevate that contrast because what we what we often what we often see, like many nonprofits are are guilty of this, is you know an, an expense budget that's kind of tied to training and development. And more often than not, like that, you know, that the default is well, attend this training online or go to a go to a seminar or kind of like learn about it, read about it, which is fine and which is necessary to a certain extent, but that's not going to help you develop the skill. Um, and so there's a there's a body of research um, that has kind of resulted in a, a framework called the 70-20-10 around how, how people learn, which is that 70% of learning happens on the job. It happens while doing. It, it happens while you're kind of pursuing that stretch assignment, right? 20% um, of learning really is kind of anchored in 
thoughtful coaching, mentoring, and development, right? So Prita, for example, giving me pointers along the way, the, the, the work that your parents were doing, right? Kind of coaching you along the side, holding the handlebars, making sure that, that you knew what you were doing giving you tips, you know, and then there is a role for kind of learning through reading, through more formal training, but that's really, you know, closer to 10%. And so it's, you know, that, that mindset, that allocation of how I think through how I want to develop myself, how I'm going to kind of become better on some of these dimensions that we that we name as organizations those competencies that matter i think we we encourage and we we even include a, a template in our set of resources around like a, a a development plan that kind of brings to life this 70 20 10 approach and the great news is this right i mentioned before a lot of a lot of organizations out there they have a training and expense budget right but that's really at the end of the day that's kind of like the 10 percent so much of learning happens on the job. So if, if, if we could invest more in thoughtfully developing those stretch opportunities that Preda alluded to kind of at the, at the beginning of this conversation, um, that's great. That's the most effective way people learn. And it's also one of the, the, the least expensive way to kind of teach our people, to, to mentor them through more of an apprenticeship model. So how do we develop... And we're supposed to co-create these, right, between the manager and the person who reports to the manager, co-create the plan. But how do we make the plan when we don't know what the what the opportunities are going to be for the 70% part of the 70-20-10 rule? How, how are we going to craft up? I mean, we don't just create opportunities to see the person succeed or not. I mean, how do we how do we develop a plan around something that's uncertain for the future. The, the, the 70% part, the on-the-job part, we don't, we're not really sure what's coming. Well, I, if, I, if I can jump in, Lindsay, I'll just say, I mean, no, you're not sure of everything that's coming, but you know a good amount of what's coming, right? So if you're, you know, you know, um, in particular, I mean, it obviously will vary by um, by competency, right? Let's remember that, right? You're picking, you're just de- you're decided in advance together. There are these two or three competencies maybe that you're going to really focus on. Well, let's say it is about communications. It was one that that Lindsay mentioned earlier. Well, you might not know all the big presentations that are that are going to come up in the next year, but you know that there's, you know, there's the annual staff gathering, there's the there's, um, you know, there'll be at least a couple of updates to the board, you know, that, you know, you have a sense of what's coming, right? And so you can, you, and then you can together look for those opportunities. So the other thing to know is that if we agree, you're going to work on communications, Tony, we might pick out a couple of things that we think are going to be opportunities in the next couple of months. But then we should also revisit this plan at least once a quarter, and say like, okay, what what opportunities came up and what might be coming up in the next quarter right. so that you can continuously be updating it, right? You can't plan out a year ahead. Can't plan out a year ahead. Especially for the uh, the arrogance building skill set. No, we do. those are going to be particularly particularly hard to come by, but, uh, but I'll, I'll fight for them anyway. Um, <laughs> let, let's flesh out the, the coaching and mentoring part a little bit, the, seven, the, the 20 and the 70, 20, 10. That I think, I don't know, it feels like sometimes it's left to sort of, you know, people kind of find a mentor on their own, might be in the company, maybe maybe you're saying ideally it should be in the in the organization, or, or but it's, it's left to too much informality, and it's left up to the mentee to go find somebody who will mentor and coach them. I, I think you want it to be much more formalized in the organization, don't you? Lindsay, go ahead, Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was just kind of observing, observing Prita's like head nodding, and I think, you know, I think that is ultimately the the goal, and then I think that that it speaks to kind of like the third piece of this puzzle that really makes it all work is making sure that your your supervisors, your managers throughout your organization are kind of taking ownership over their team's development are kind of stepping into that role of coach so that my team of two, my team of five, my team of however many 
I'm aware of what they're working on, right? I'm thinking about what opportunities I can help create for them and with them. And I'm, and I'm actively kind of coaching them through providing, providing constructive feedback on what they're doing well, on what they need to, to improve. And so often it's the case that me in a supervisor role, I could be that coach. I should be a coach to my, to my teams, those I'm supervising. And at the same time, it may be that, you know, there's a, there's a certain competency that I'm really focused on developing. And my current supervisor isn't the right person to support me on that. Right. So there, there are certainly opportunities where I might seek outside counsel, um, an expert on a certain topic to help coach me on something like public speaking, for example, on, on data analysis or, or something like that. Or I may, I might, I may seek out coaches from folks within my organization that don't directly supervise me. So it's not kind of a one size fits all situation. There are kind of different avenues. And at the same time, I think it's our, our perspective that, that talent development often hinges on an organization's ability to kind of equip and hold their, their management, their, their supervisors accountable for developing their teams. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Preeta, anything you'd add? Oh, I, you know, honestly, I just keep imagining Tony, like learning to ride this bike and, and the, his parents at his side. And as you were describing, I was thinking to myself, I guess we should all, whatever that competency is that we're trying to develop, whatever that skill is, we should be asking ourselves, who's going to be like those parents who trusted Tony enough to get him a bike, right? To put him on the bike, but then who he trusted enough that if he was going to fall, they would be there to help him, right? Like, it's like, you're going to kind of asking that question of yourself with, as you're building the skills is who are those people? And it's probably not just one person, right? It's probably a set of people you go to under different circumstances, but it's that environment of um, management support that I think the best kind of like talent rich organizations have created. They've created that environment. You, you all are making me picture my little block on, uh, Orient Way in Rutherford, New Jersey, where I learned to ride a bike, and there were too many there, there were too many trees, you know, because the trees upend the sidewalk slabs, so it's all bumpy, and the it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a good environment, but you know it's where I grew up, Orient Way, Rutherford, New Jersey. I hope they've repaired the sidewalks in the past fifty five years or so. It's time for Tony's take two. Nonprofit Radio 50 for the Planned Giving Accelerator. It's the Redux. It's a reminder that you can get 50% off Planned Giving Accelerator tuition by using the code Nonprofit Radio 50. The Accelerator, the class begins in early March and you'll be done with it, with me. We all together will be done by Memorial Day. So no impact on your summer. March, April, and May, we'll spend an hour a week together. You'll meet with me and all your peers in the class, and I will step you through launching planned giving at your nonprofit. There's no homework from week to week. There's incredible peer support. We share challenges as well as successes together. Uh, the outcomes are incredible, like $4 million from a small humane society in Georgia and $2 million from a community development organization in Oregon and five new board gifts from another small organization in, uh, also in Georgia, a child development agency. So. Lots of, uh, lots of good outcomes. Your outcomes can be just as good. It's all, uh, it's all available to you. It's at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. You'll see how to proceed and you'll get the 50% off with nonprofit radio five zero. Any questions about the accelerator? Naturally, you ask me, Tony at tonymartinetti.com. That is Tony's take two. We've got the Buku. 
We've got Buku, but loads more time for talent development with Preeta Nayak and Lindsay Waldron. What about the idea of not leaving this to the mentees? Like the, the, the organization should be assigning or how do we, but it, it might, the leadership might not know who the best mentor is for somebody. How do we, are we leaving it to the mentees to go find their own or what? How we how do we formalize this, but not make it overburden over overbearing? I'm very interested in this mentor mentor relationship. Maybe I never had a mentor as an attorney. Maybe that's why I I I, I dreaded uh, I, I dreaded promotion. I didn't want to be like those people. Maybe I didn't have a good mentor in in the law firm. How do we how do we help folks not have the same crushing yeah. defeat in their career that I had? <laughs> the, uh, I don't. I, I don't know. If, I don't know whether we're going to be able to manage that, Tony. But I would. <laughs> I'm, I'm unmanageable. I, That's what I told I you. Know. You don't want to. I, I, you don't want me to work for you. Trust me. I'm un, <laughs> exactly. You just said it. I'm unmanageable. But but, but I, for the other I, folks who are who are manageable, how do we help them get the right mentor? I I would actually one question I would suggest even before that is like is actually trying to just get a sense of who has who has someone that they're relying on, that they're able to turn to. And, and again, these development plans are an opportunity to ask that question. Who's got me? And, and oh, who doesn't? Okay, that, that helps. You know, right. who doesn't? Because I think that like, you may not, it may not be that big a stretch. It may be, a you know, a small set of people who don't already have the connections they need that you can then focus your energy on. Um, and, and so I think just, I, I, the other thing I'll just name is I, I think generally when organizations for profit, nonprofit ask this question, they do find that the folks who are often left out are those who aren't, haven't traditionally been in that employment space. You see women who don't, who often are lacking a mentor, people of color. And so, you know, again, some areas where you can kind of double down and focus if other folks are are seem like they're doing okay. All right, I see. So we can use these at least quarterly check-ins to uh, which we're going to get to the, the check-ins. All right. So then the remaining we got seventy twenty ten. The remaining ten percent is formal. Lindsay, like you said, go to a, we a webinar, seminar, go to attend a conference. That's the ten percent. That's I mean, we need to budget for that because there is a role. I would think, especially in in developing a, like a new competency that maybe an early stage of developing a, a lacking competency skill set, you know, mm -hmm. hearing, hearing, listening to a webinar or going to a conference on it might be very valuable. So we need to budget that also. Yeah, for sure. Like a concrete example we use in at our organization at, at Bridgespan, which is we're focused on strategy, right. And operating effectiveness, but a lot of, you know, folks that come in, to our organization, like need a pretty solid, like quantitative background because a lot of our, you know, our, we use a data-driven approach, right? But if I've never opened Excel, Microsoft Excel, for example, it's gonna be hard to just start doing immediately. And so there are so many tutorials kind of online in person around like, what are the basics, right? How can I invest again, not a hundred percent, but like 10% of my capacity to just kind of familiarize myself with this thing, understand the basics, get my bearings, and then start to apply that learning um, on the job. Uh, yeah, I, I should have asked you earlier, so it's your suffering under a lackluster host, uh, who's I mean, unmanageable, lackluster, Arrogant. See, these are all the traits you don't. All the reasons you don't want me working for you, Preeta. Uh, you don't want you don't want me in the bridge band organization. Um, you know what's the what's the basis for the the conclusions that you drew? What this is all based on, uh, Lindsay. You referenced hundreds of conversations, but was this a survey or was this intentional research or it's just organically grow, gained over time? What, what? Who wants to talk to? why you have the credibility in this space to help us. I can talk a little bit about the path um, because Tony, you actually mentioned at the, the top, of, top of our time together, the, the book I had written with a colleague, Plan A, right? On developing, developing future leaders. And that was, 
over a decade ago, we wrote that and we did, that was research. That was talking with um, uh, folks in the field who are leadership and talent development experts to understand what are the best for-profits and non-profits doing to create leadership pipelines. We then have like a set of general practices to anchor our work in and and building on that, we have then worked with, I think we are now probably at over 200 teams we've worked with in cohorts to apply these principles. And that's where we get the reps and refined it and where like some of these stories that you see even in the article come from. So, so it's been a, we've tried to take our own medicine, so to speak, like we did the 10% desk research and then we wanted to apply it in the field and like actually just understand what's going on and what's hard, you know, what, that, what's easy on paper, hard to do in practice, what kinds of tools might help, that sort of thing. Anything else you'd add, Lindsay? Um, I think we've also, like, in addition to coaching those nonprofits, right, around the country, around the, the world at this point, we also are learning within our organization, right? So, so a lot of like the structures that we that we discussed were kind of trying to like eat and, and breathe ourselves. So I I have a development plan, right? 702010. I revisit it um twice a year, actually, with my mentor. We talk about it. I talk about my strengths, my weaknesses, you know, where I need to where I need to develop, what that could look like to kind of reach the next level within in my career at the organization, whether or not really that means a, a new role, so to speak. I know that I'm kind of growing regardless. Um, and, and so that it, you know, it, it kind of motivates me to, to stay at this organization because I know I'm constantly learning. I know there are people who are investing in me and I have clear insight into what it takes to be successful in our organization because we've kind of spelled out those competencies. We've, we've made what is often implicit, explicit for everyone in our organization, right? Not just the folks that kind of are proactive in, in seeking it out. Are you supposed to be in revisiting your plan uh, at least quarterly? I thought you said you said you're only doing it twice a year. <laughs> I'm oh I, I will say I, I I have development conversations and we'll get to this next, right? I have development conversations with with my supervisors and with those I supervise, you know, every every couple of weeks or so, right? So oh, okay. regularly we're talking about like, what am I doing well? Where do I need to improve? And we kind of have this framework of the competencies we we care about to kind of reference. Okay. Just want to make sure you're not violating it's a, your it's own. A it's a feedback. I mean, you know, feedback. I, I can't have lessons from a bunch of hypocrites. But okay, you're not, you're not, you're not hypocrites. Okay, okay. No. What were you saying, Preeta? I'm sorry, I was, I was talking. No, over I you. was just I unmanageable. Was saying... I, I I talk over my manager. It's terrible. It's, he's unmanageable. I, I get him out. Get him out. He's unmanageable. Sorry. I was going to say it's a feedback rich environment, and and Tony, I'm maybe that's another reason why you would not. You would not you would not <laughs> want to be with us because you, we would be telling you regularly what we love and what you can do better. How's that? Yes, what I can do better. It's again very uh, very tactfully put. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there are there are there are expletives that uh, could substitute, but you, you use the tactful way. Um, let's tell a story, Preeta. You mentioned yeah you have you have three examples for each of the three. You know we have craft competencies, co-create professional development plans, and. And then we're going to get to consistent development conversations, those check-ins. Um, tell a story. Somebody, somebody, this is we're talking about the professional development plans. Your 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 example was uh Shakti, if I said it right. Shakti Sustainable Energy Foundation, which I love shock, Shakti and energy going together. It's, I, I don't know if they meant intended that when they uh created their foundation, but I like it. Who wants to tell the story about uh, Shakti and their professional development plans? Yeah, I'm happy to I'm happy to kick us off. Um yeah, so, give us a little story here. Yeah, Shakti is an as an organization based in India um, that we supported through through a version of this process, through this kind of offering that we um that we deliver for cohorts of of nonprofits. And our main point of contact was actually an, an HR professional 
who had been doing this work for, you know, over a decade, but was was still new to this framework of, of 70-2010. Um, and so, you know, worked with his leadership team, with his CEO um, to develop a set of competencies, as we discussed, right? They went through that process with, with some bridge span support, were able to articulate what matters, and then focus first on developing, you know, that what what we often see with the organizations we work with is they you don't roll it all out at once that would be really hard but often first you know the it's the work typically of the executive team of the leadership team to align on what competencies matter most in their future leaders yeah um, you make that point that leadership has to set the example exactly leadership has to set the example so once they've done that then they kind of you know they start to walk the walk and this HR professional who was in a leadership position, um, he, he provides the example, which we highlight in the article around a competency that he was working on, which was improved communication, right? And public speaking. And so he named that as something that he needed to develop. It went on his development plan, you know, and in this case, he actually sought out somebody who was not his kind of like direct supervisor, or direct boss. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting exactly who it was, but say it was a, a board member, right? Who he admired, who had a very strong, concise and effective communication style. And he, he sought out that individual as a mentor. And what they would do is check in again, like every quarter, um, to kind of review and assess how am I doing? How am I progressing against this really important skill? that will help me grow in this role, mm -hmm. that will help me be successful um, as a leader within this organization. And so that's just one example. And I think, you know, it, you you point to a, a piece that we name, like you, leader, you, you have to lead by example, right? Because this is the type of thing, as Krita mentioned up front, like it's easy not to invest in talent, right? It's easy to focus all of our attention on the programs we're running, on the services we're offering, on the clients that we are serving, because those needs never, never stop, right? It's, and so the, the grind of just our day to day is, it's real. But taking the, the time and discipline to pull up and reflect on our own learning, our own development, our own professional growth, um, is critical. And so if a CEO, or a director of HR can find the time to do that, can be candid and transparent about their growth areas, right? Everyone has growth areas, right? Even the CEOs of the top companies out there, nobody's perfect. We're all growing, right? That in turn kind of helps make visible um, to others throughout the organization that like, oh, if the CEO or the director of whatever department has time to do this and is taking charge of their professional development, then I can do that too. And that helps create this kind of culture of learning development of, of feedback. Completely contrary to the uh, Jack Welch uh, at uh, General Electric style of management to, I know everything. I am perfect. I have all the answers. <laughs> just, just come to me. Uh, but he's, he's long been, uh, his theories anyway, I think have been uh, debunked. All right. Thank you. Good story about Shakti. Yeah, it's interesting that he chose a board member too to uh, to help. I mean, he went to a volunteer leader. You're saying, yeah, and it can't. I mean, that's the that's the point. I think it's you know, it, I think it, an organization can play a role in kind of making those connections, like the yeah. mentor match, so to speak. But I think it, it you know it also requires there's a role for kind of your supervisor or manager to play, and there's also a role for each individual to play in taking ownership over their professional development and growth, right? So I might say, oh, wow, like Krita is so awesome at the way that she engages clients, right? And I really, I really want to learn from, from her. So, you know, I, to, to have the agency to kind of reach out and seek, seek out mentors that spike on some of the skills and dimensions I care about, um, you know, is very much like that's, totally possible. There's nothing preventing me from, from doing that. And if you kind of like create the culture within your organization, that that is, you know, that that happens, that that is the norm, that people are receptive to that. Um, I think that that can enable great things. 
So Preeta, let's talk about what we've we've alluded to a couple of times. The the uh, the third third recommendation: consistent development conversations. These check ins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just um, I was just thinking as uh, for you know for folks who are listening to this, you know, there there there's value in the whole system. There's value in putting in place these competencies and and development plans and and all of that. And you know, there's also a question of like, well, what could I do as an individual tomorrow, right? What could I start doing? And I. And, and I think actually the important, there's a lot because at the heart of all of this is regular conversation between, um, a, a manager and a direct report or someone in their sort of network about where is it you're headed? What are the skills you're trying to build? And how do we make sure you're actually getting effective opportunities to build it? Right. And those effective opportunities are probably going to be on the job. And so that. And it's the regular conversation, right? So I had a had a conversation um, just yesterday with a, for thirty minutes with a mentee, a relatively new mentee, someone someone I've just been chatting with regularly for a couple of months. And you know, we 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 spent most of the time just kind of kind of getting to know each other, and then talked about one particular problem that was on his mind. And it was thirty minutes, and we'll do it again in a month. You know, and it's a, it's just a little bit of a muscle you start to build. And then in six months, I will, we will know a lot about each other and there will be a lot of space for that hard moment for him to pick up the phone or send the chat or whatever he needs to do. Cause, cause those moments you can't really schedule, can you? Right. Those are, those are, those are unscripted. Right. So, so I just think it's that muscle that gets everybody comfortable with like, sharing feedback, sharing ideas, celebrating the wins, you know, sometimes like having a good cry, whatever it is, that it's that pattern that I think um, really sustains that the, the the relationship, but then actually, if you have a web of those in an organization, it really sustains the organization. And, and so your point earlier was that the uh... The formal check-ins with a uh, with with the the supervisor, those should be at least quarterly. But those should be but, at least but mentors, you're saying, you know, mentors, mentees. I mean, that can be on the fly, as as ad hoc as needed, or you know, maybe could could also be scheduled too. Yeah, I mean, I like I'm a huge fan, both in my professional and personal life, of the recurring the recurring appointment. You know set the recurring appointment, have it for the half an hour monthly. You may end up canceling it or not using it, but like put it in there. And, and I, I, I just really encourage everyone to be doing that with the, with the advisors in their life, whether they're formal managers or, or mentors or something else. Do you have any other action steps or, or for either of you? I, I, I love stuff that, People listen on a Tuesday and they can think about it Wednesday and then they implement on Thursday. What, anything else for from either of you that we can act on immediately? Start taking action steps. No, this is all 100 well, percent theoretical. There's no value in. The- I, yeah, no, I, I think that I mean, the the. This, the simple sort of thought exercise I would encourage people to do is yeah, like, yeah. if you download, there's a 70, 20, 10 template, we'll share the materials, but you could probably make this yourself. It's not rocket science, right? It's a, it's a couple of, what are the couple of skills or competency areas? You can use our list or you can come up with your own or, or Google. There's sort of plenty of banks online available. And then what do you think the 70, 20, 10 is going to be for you in the next few months on that thing? What's the activity you're going to do? What's the coach you'll have? Do it for yourself as this first step and then share it with your manager uh, or maybe, or actually even better, share it with the person you manage, right? Let them know how you're mm-hmm. thinking about this and maybe those, their wheels will start turning too. So I know that would be a, just an easy way to get started. Okay. Lindsay, any other suggestions? Well, I think just, you know, I feel like most of the people I imagine a lot of folks listening, like 
they may not have a set, a, a very like clear, explicit set of like, what are the qualities, and characteristics and skills I need to develop to be, to be great at my role in my organization over the long term. And if that doesn't exist, that's, that's okay. I think, I think just kind of carving out some time for some self-reflection um, on, you know, what, what are the assets that I bring to my role, to my organization? How can I build on those? What are some things that I'm, that I'm working on, right? That I need to continue to develop. And then, you know, that becomes, you know, the, that becomes in large part the focus of my development plan. But again, it shouldn't be like, we want this to be an, an asset based approach, right? So like building on strengths, this is all, I think one of the, one of the lines going through my head that I've, I've, you know, started to appreciate, um, you know, at this point in my career is just this notion that feedback is a gift, right? It can be easy to get defensive. It can be easy to think like, oh, what am I not good enough at? What am I doing wrong? But at the end of the day, like creating this culture of feedback is so critical because it, it helps us grow as individuals. How am I going to get better if I don't know kind of where I need to, to grow? Um, mm-hmm. So I just keep kind of thinking about that, like self, self-reflection, um, I think is, is really a critical piece of this process self-reflection introspection i like i like i like introspection it doesn't do me any good but i like i, I think it's an admirable thing to spend time on <laughs> uh, where can we get the article so because there are a lot of links to other to other research other articles there's two other stories uh where where can we read the article yeah well it's available on our website Right, www.bridgeband.org, and you know we're we're really excited actually because it's we're we're kind of in the process of developing a new a new space on our website um, that houses all like not just this article but all of the nonprofit knowledge we've we've collected over the years on areas such as talent on financial sustainability, on strategy, on organizational effectiveness. And so our goal at BridgeSpan is to kind of disseminate these tools, these resources, which are all free, as far and as wide as possible, so that, you know, nonprofit leaders across the country around the world can can pick them up and apply for them, like what, what is most useful. So go to our website. So, okay. So is there a spot at BridgeSpan.org? That uh, oh, someone just uh, politely put it in the chat. I guess it was Preeta while while Lindsay was uh, was talking. Oh, so Bridgespan Bridgespan dot org slash insights, and then slash library. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. I was going to say it's a, it's unfortunately a bit of a mouthful of a URL. Uh, so okay, we'll include it. I feel like. Craft competencies, co-create professional development plans, consistent development conversations. Those are the three, three tenets of the uh, the article. I don't know your three C's. If you had, if you could tease out four more C's, you could do like the seven C's of talent development. <laughs> Wouldn't that be clever? The seven C's of talent <laughs> development, and there's a bridge span group. So the sp- the bridge is spanning the seven C's of talent development. If you could tease out four more C's, I you know I would I would recommend it. But at this point, at this point there are three. three, Pardon me. We can come back with the next four C's. Yeah, so we'll do a follow-on with the with the remaining four C's. Now these are very three very valuable C's, and they are uh, Preeta Nayak and Lindsay Waldron. Preeta is a partner in the Bridgespan Group's San Francisco office. Lindsay Waldron, manager in the Bridgespan's. Bridgespan Group's Boston office and the company, the organization, pardon me, is at bridgespan.org. So, Preeta, Lindsay, thank you very much. Thanks for sharing all this. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Glad to have you. Next week, Managing Your Nonprofit for Resilience with Ted Billich. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. 
Mark Silverman is our web guy, and this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scott. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great! <laughs>